Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. I want to talk to you today um, with a, a sermon entitled, A Song of Worship. A Song of of worship. And if we come to Exodus chapter number 15, we find that in Exodus chapter number 14, we see the marvelous exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. What a, a miraculous thing God has done. And he has split the waters in, in two, and, and they walked on, the Israelites walked on dry ground to the other side of the Red Sea. And God delivered them from the bondage of slavery. And we come to this passage of scripture here in Exodus chapter number 15, where we find the song, which is, uh, which is known as the song of Moses or the song of redemption. If I were to ask and take a survey this morning in here and ask everyone to write down the best song ever, to write down, in your opinion, the best song ever, we would have a lot of different opinions, right? We'd have a lot of different uh, we might have some songs from the 60s, from the 70s, from the 80s. Uh, we, we might have different songs from where we grew up in our era. And, and we have these many different preferences. But let me say this, the way we view music can also determine how we approach worship through singing. If we aren't careful, we, will, we can very easily think that worship is about us. That Worship at its best is when it's truest to who I am. That worship is at its best when it's truest to the style that I like, or truest to the atmosphere that I like, or truest to the volume that I like. And, and worship is at its best when it is truest to who I am. But as we look at Exodus chapter number 15, we'll discover really quickly that worship is at its best when it is truest to who God is and what God desires. That is when worship is at its best. And, and I want us to start in these opening verses because it gives us the right perspective of the verses to follow here in Exodus chapter number 15. Look at verse number one, if you would meet with me this morning. The Bible says, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake saying, I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song and he is become my salvation. He is my God and I will prepare him in inhabitation, my father's God and I will exalt him. Here in Exodus chapter number 15, we see a song of worship. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so thankful for your precious word this morning. God, I pray that as we prayed this morning in our prayer time, that, that you would speak to our hearts individually, that this morning we would not look at other, others, Lord, uh, uh, around us, but Father, that we would examine our own hearts this morning when it comes to worship. God, that you would be with me this morning. I need you. I, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would give me the very words that you would have me to say that it might touch hearts and that it might change lives this morning. And God, as it's already been prayed, that we will have a bigger view or perspective of who you are to us and what you have done for us in our lives and that we would leave today different than when we came in. 
God, we pray that you would work and that you would move as only you can this morning through your word. We love you in your precious name, I pray. Amen. What is very interesting here is that this song, it doesn't just show up here. This, this song of Moses, it, it also uh, shows up. Um, it, it's also a song in heaven. Uh, I want us to, if we can put the verse up on the screen this morning, in Revelation chapter 15, verse number one, the Bible says, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. Here it is in verse number three. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. This isn't just a song that the Israelites sang on the other side of the Red Sea. It is what believers are going to sing in heaven for all of eternity. And we might be here today, we might sit here and say, well, why is the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb mentioned together? I mean, I can see us singing the song of the Lamb in heaven, right? Singing of Jesus' life and His death and His resurrection and Listen, the Lamb is Jesus. Well, we're going to be singing about Jesus. We're going to be worshiping Jesus and what He has done for us for all of eternity. But why is the song of Moses together here? I believe it's because we must understand that, that be, the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ shapes how we view God is the way that the exodus for the Israelites is how they viewed God before the cross. It's, these are both stories of redemption, and those stories of redemption shape how we worship. Amen? This song shows up all throughout the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, in, in Jeremiah, and all throughout the Psalms, the Red Sea event that we find here in, in chapter number 14 is a feature of Israel's worship. The reason that it was that it was knit into the fabric of their worship is because it tells us what worship really is. I want us to look at that this morning. And as we examine our hearts, ask ourselves the question, how do I worship? How do I worship? Not only through song and through singing, but how do I worship in, a, in my daily life? We find number one, as we look at this song of worship, we see number one, worship centers on who God is. Worship centers on who God is. I want us to look at verse number one. The Bible says this, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he overthrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. This song of worship, it starts off with who God is. But before we unpack of who God is that we find here in this passage of Scripture, I think it's very interesting for us to note the time frame of this worship. Look at the very first word in verse number one of chapter number 15. What is it? Then. Then saying. That is a Hebrew word that means at this time time. At that time. 
At what time? Look at verse number 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel. You notice that, that, that here we find that, that after the Red Sea had collapsed on the Egyptians, then immediately following, they worshiped God. It was an immediate worship. It was after the Red Sea had collapsed on the Egyptians. Listen, this didn't hap a, happen a week from this time. It didn't happen a month. It didn't happen a year down the road. No, it was immediate as God split the waters and as they walked on dry ground dry ground, and as they made their way through that Red Sea, and then we see the Egyptian armies follow, and they're, they're washed up into this, and as the bodies are washing upon the shore, and the rubble is in the sea still, that is when they begin to worship. That is when they begin to praise. Moses says, hey, I want to gather all the children of Israel, and we are going to worship. Then, it was immediate. Listen, Moses recognized that worship is an opportunity. Which means like any opportunity we can miss, worship. You get that? We can miss worship. Some of us are so concerned about what's going on in our world around us. Some of us are so concerned with, with what's going on in our personal lives that we are looking for a later time to worship. Let me say this, church. Don't let Sunday be the only day that you worship Jesus. Worship Jesus when, some, when He does something. Listen, the Bible says that His mercies are new each and every day. When God is good to you in your life, worship Him. When God brings a blessing in your life, worship Him. Not Don't wait till Sunday. Worship Him in that moment. Amen? Worship Him immediately. We find that this, listen, letting moments pass in our lives that deserve our praise, it portrays something about us. In James chapter number 1, verse 17, the Bible says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is, is from where? Above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. A little quiz for all of us here this morning. Where does every good gift come from? God. Every good gift comes from God. And listen, so if it comes from God, who deserves the praise for it? God. If God holds the world in His hands and nothing happens by accident and He knows all the hairs on your head, some less than others, right? If He knows everything that is held in every day, since He is the Creator of every good thing, every moment that produces something deserves our praise. Deserves our worship. You know that God created us to worship Him? Amen? You know God created us to worship Him, to glorify Him, and to enjoy Him forever and ever and ever? That's why God created us. He put us on this planet to glorify Him, to worship Him. Listen, to glorify God and, and, and to enjoy Him forever. It's the greatest, the highest calling that any person can ever step into. 
And when we do praise and when we worship, we are doing what God created us to do. Listen, every moment is an opportunity to celebrate His goodness in your life. Don't don't postpone your worship. Amen? Worship immediately. Worship when God does something and works in your life. But then I want us to see, not, not just to note that, but look at verse number two. He says, The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare Him in habitation my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. We find that in this first stanza, Moses worships God because He's strong, because He's mighty, because He's glorious, because of His his relationship with Him. But probably the most surprising thing that that Moses worships God for is found in verse number 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His Name, listen, when is the last time you and I stopped and praised God for being a warrior? When's the last time that we stopped and we worshiped God for being a warrior in our life? Listen, this was central to the way that Moses was instructing the Israelites to worship God. Well, pastor, that's in the Old Testament. Pastor, we we know that that God, He he was a lot meaner on the left side of the book than He is on the right side of the book. That's what people think. But understand, God is still a warrior. God is not mean. God is just. Listen, that same warrior quality of God shows up both in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. Jesus is constantly at battle with, God, with darkness throughout the gospel. And then when we come to Revelation chapter number 19, oh, when we come to Revelation chapter 19, if we can put it on the screen, I want us to all read it this morning. Verse number 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our God. He is a warrior. He was a warrior. He is a a warrior and he still will be a warrior. Let me say this. Until we start worshiping God and seeing God for being a warrior, we are inevitably going to fight our own battles. Until we see Him as a warrior, we will fight our own battles. Because listen, if we don't see Him as as a warrior in our life, life has battles. Can I get an amen? Our days have battles, and we will fight those battles on our own if we do not see Him as a warrior. 
And guess what? God wants to fight for us. Amen? God wants to fight for us. He's on our side. Listen, He wants to fight for His people. And if we embrace the same truth that Moses tells the children of Israel to embrace and that the Bible from cover to cover tells us to embrace, then all of a sudden we will walk through life with confidence knowing that we're not on our own and that God is fighting for us. Listen, that's a different way to live, isn't it? That's a way that we as Christians can live that the lost world cannot live. We can live with confidence that God as a warrior is fighting with us. Listen, their worship, it's centered on who God was. It's centered on who God was. Sometimes we need to let our preferences out of the way when it comes to worship and just worship Him for who He is. When you sang the songs this morning, did we sing Did we sing them because we didn't sing them because we don't really like them? Or did we sing it because it speaks of who our Creator is? Did we worship Him because of who He is? Listen, worship centers on who God is. But number two, we see that worship celebrates what God has done. What God has done. Look at verse number seven. The Bible says this, And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as an heap, and the depths uh, were, were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. But what did God do? Look at verse number 10. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The seas covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? We find here that their worship was celebrating what God had done for them. What a miraculous thing that God did. Can you imagine the sight of the Red Sea being split in two? The Israelites walking on dry ground. I can't imagine that sight. But it's real. God did it. And they began to worship Him for what He had done for them and their life. Here's the thing. Worship is based on facts. Amen? It is based on what God has done. And often we approach worship based on our feelings. Oh, this is my song. Oh, this song, it gives me goosebumps every time. I love it. Now I can really worship God because I love this song. Listen, that's not worship. Why? Because it's based on feelings. Because it's based on feelings. You will never find worship being based on feelings anywhere throughout the Scriptures. If you can find it, find it, defined that way, then please show me. Worship is not based on feelings. Why? Because feelings change, but the facts of what God has done for us will never change. That's why we worship. 
It celebrates what God has done for us. Listen, if we worship God based on our feelings, we can very easily come into a setting like Fellowship Baptist Church where the goal is to keep Jesus first and where the goal is to glorify Him. And if we're not careful, we can allow our preferences and our feelings to end up determining how we engage in worship. Listen, worship isn't about us. It's about what God has done. Worship is meant to engage our emotions, isn't it? God created our emotions. God created our emotions, but emotions don't determine our worship. Feelings don't drive our worship. What determines, what dictates, what directs our worship is what God has done for us in our life. Has God saved you this morning? What has God done for you? Has He provided for you? What has God done for you? Has He healed you? What has God done for you? Listen, has He worked a miracle in your relationships? What has God done for you? There's a place for, to, for us to say, my feelings and my emotions are going to take a backseat to the fact that God, the God of the universe, is involved in my life. Listen, that God has worked, the God of heaven and earth reached into my life and into my family's life to do what only He can do, and He deserves my worship. You see here, the Israelites were specific with their worship. They listed these specific things that they were praising God for. God, you closed the seas. You destroyed our enemies. You delivered us from slavery. They were specific in their worship. And understand today, we cannot turn our worship into lip service. Let me encourage you to start recounting what God has done for you in your life, in your everyday life. Go throughout this week, and when God blesses, and when God does something in your life, recount that and keep it on the forefront, and it'll change the way you worship. When you come into God's house, hey, I'm here because of the goodness of God. Amen? I'm here because of what He has done for me, and I am going to worship Him. Be specific in your worship. Let me say this, church. True worship isn't when we get goosebumps. You might get them through true worship, but it isn't when we get goosebumps. Listen, true worship celebrates what God has done for us. But then lastly, we see worship connects us to our future. Worship connects us to our future. Look at verse number 12. Thou stretchest out thy right hand. The earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestine, Palestine, the Philistines. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab Trembling shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. 
by the greatness of thine army, they shall be as still as a stone. I want us to just stop right there. We already know the time of their worship, right? It's immediate. Their worship is immediate. This is, this, they're singing this song on the banks of the Red Sea. Have the Philistines heard of this event yet? No, the Israelites weren't on Facebook Live and the, and the video went viral and the Philistines found out. No, this, they don't even know about it. So how can they sing that the Canaanites shall melt away and that the Philistines will fear? How are they able to say that? Because their worship was by faith. They had confidence in their future. They knew that God was going to take care of them. They knew that God was going to bring them to the promised land. They knew that. And their worship connected them to their future. Listen, our praise and our worship should be prophetic. As we proclaim the victory of God, it's another reason that we don't worship by our feelings. We worship by facts and by faith of the things that aren't yet seen. Why? Because we have a God that doesn't just say, all right, you're saved. Now have fun in this Christian life. No, he says, I'm right there with you. I'm a warrior. God, as a warrior, who wants to fight your battles with you. And so we can have confidence in our future. We can worship. Our worship connects us to our future. Let's keep reading verse number 16. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over, which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. In other words, God, you are going to bring us home. God, we know that there's going to be enemies in front of us. We know that there are battles on the horizon, but we know that you're going to fight for us because you are a warrior. Because we can trust and we can have confidence in our future. God, we worship you because you're out there in front of us. God, I don't know what my boss is going to say this week, but I know you're here for me. God, I don't know when this season in my life, this season of depression, this season of, of anxiety, this season of, 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 of just worry, this season in our, our, our marriage is going to end. I don't know, but I know you're here with me. Our worship connects us to our future. Listen, we don't know what our future holds, but we know who holds our future. Amen? And we can worship Him for that. We can have confidence in that fact. When we look at our world today, and there is a lot of craziness, you can agree with me today, in our world today. Craziness. But we know a God who holds the future. For our personal lives, for our world, He holds the future. And we can have confidence in that. But listen, in order to have God on your side in the future, listen, in order to have God on your side in the future, you have to be on God's side in the present. In order to have the confidence that God is going to go before us, 
we have to be going with Him today? Where does the confidence come from for Israel to worship God for their future? Where does our confidence come from that no matter what goes on in our world, God is going to take care of us in 2021 and not just in 2021, but 2022 and 2023 and 2024. What gives us that confidence? It's found in verse number two. Look, the Lord is my strength and song and he is become my salvation. That's where their confidence came from for their future because God was their salvation. Amen? Listen, in other words, on the, side, on the one side of the Red Sea, he was not their salvation. But as they get to the other side of the Red Sea, their enemy is destroyed finally, and now he is their salvation. Now they can say with confidence, we aren't going back to Egypt. We aren't going back to this slavery. We have faith for an awesome future. The sea it now separates us from our slavery. There was a moment in the Israelite's life where they went from slaves to sons and daughters. Where they went from slaved to saved. It was finished. How? By the mighty hand of God. And you understand today that we can have confidence in our future because Jesus is our salvation. Because of His completed work on the cross and through His resurrection, because He became the substitutionary atonement sacrifice for all of us in here today, for our sin today. And if we believe on the Gospel of Jesus Christ and understand, He will become your salvation. And we know that in Christ, we have the victory. Amen? No matter what comes in our life, in Him, we have the victory. Listen, we already know how this all ends. God wins. He's our salvation. And because He's our salvation, we can live with confidence for our future. Our worship connects us to our future. Let me just say this. God has a future for all of us in here today. Do you believe it? God has a future. Everyone in here, God loves and God sees. Everyone in here, He wants to do good things in us and through us, but there has got to be a time where He becomes your salvation. There has to be a time. Listen, because that is where the rest that you see in these 18 verses becomes real in your life. And there might be some here today that we're here just for ourselves. Maybe you're here today and you're trying to fight your own battles. Maybe you're here today and, 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 and you're, you're trying to um, be good enough for God. And that one day when you come before the presence of God and we stand before Him in judgment as, as every person on the face of the planet will do one day and we, we think that our, our good is going to outweigh our bad. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that we're not good people that can save ourselves. That because of sin and the curse of sin, we are lost and we are in need of a Savior. 
The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, the Lamb. Amen? That whosoever believeth in Him, any background, any race, any story, any mistakes, any failures, whosoever shall believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He will be your salvation. And if you're here today and He has not become your salvation in your life, you've never come to a point in your life where you saw your sin and you saw your need for a Savior and you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and His completed work for you, if you've never done that, He wants to save you today. He wants to become your salvation. But if you're here today and you say, God is my salvation. Amen? God is my salvation. If that's you here today, then how is your worship? How is your worship? Does your worship center on who God is? Is your worship immediate? Listen, let me encourage you once again. Don't wait to worship God once a week. Worship Him each and every day for who He is. And if He's your salvation today, then listen, does your worship celebrate what He has done for you in your life? We could sit here all day and praise God for what He has done for us in our life. He has been so good to us. And our worship should be based on, and it should celebrate what God has done for us. And also, if He is our salvation, then our worship then will connect us to our future. If God is our salvation, we now have the confidence that we win in the end. We now have the confidence that He is a warrior that fights our battles with us. But the question is this morning, how is your worship? Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Have a great week.